You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. We are in our relationship series. It's starting today called Known. And um, I think it's just appropriate that we kind of get in touch with our emotions and talk about relationships before all the tackling and such goes down later today. Um, I am aware it is the Super Bowl, and so I'd like to just start off by saying that I have no idea who's in it. And even if you told me, I wouldn't remember because I don't know if I care. (laughs) Um, So, um, yeah, I've just never fully been into it. I love playing sports, though, or watching sports, like, of my children and things like that. I don't necessarily love watching them on TV with people I don't know. But, um, I, and I did play sports growing up, so I actually, I am into sports. I played volleyball, golf, softball, I did track, basketball. I even bowled a time or two. And I'm pretty athletic, surprisingly. Um, I'm quite athletic, so, uh, yeah. I do like football. I like throwing the football with my boys when we're at our beach house vacation. And just so you all know, when we are playing the family football games, guess who they ask to be the quarterback? Me. I'm so good at it. I could, I could throw the spiral. Like, I fully, tell them, babe, say yes. Yes, I. My boys, like, we get in the huddle, and they, like, show me how they're going to run. And I literally, I nail it. I nail it every time. Full spiral, no watermelon throws. Like, I know how to, how to do it. But I don't really know uh, the rules, especially of football and soccer. I, I didn't really learn the rules of the sports I wasn't playing. I didn't necessarily care to know them. Um, and so I, you know, didn't, don't understand those, those sports. But when I wasn't playing sports in high school, like I'm serious when I say I didn't know the rules, because when, when I wasn't playing sports in high school, I would um, do the cheerleading team because a lot of my girlfriends were on the cheerleading team. And so you know how every, like, for the four years, you have like your basic cheers about defense, offense, blah, 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 that you do every year. But then you introduce the new fun cheers and, and all of that. But some of the basic ones, you know, I remember it was my senior year. It was four years I had been cheerleading. And I remember just doing this my senior year going, first in 10, do it again, move that ball. And I remember my senior year after four years of saying that cheer, I looked to my friend and I said, What the heck is first in 10 anyways? (laughs) And I actually discovered that I had completely missed the entire basic principle of football, how to move the ball down the field. So yay, happy Super Bowl Sunday. You're gonna have so much fun, you guys, watching that game for four hours when there's nothing else to do. Okay, so this message in our relationship series. So I preached a message a few months ago at our 5 p.m. service called Foul or Fair Play. I actually wanna encourage you guys to listen to that message if you haven't yet. It's kind of, I used all the sports analogies to you know, talk about how we stay in bounds in our relationships and, and protect our marriage um, from someone that would may wanna come in and, and damage it. I talked about how, you know, in 
baseball, when there's a fly ball into the outfield in between the two players, someone's got to call it. You got to communicate clearly so the ball doesn't drop. So I talked about communication, the importance of that, and, and how to avoid unnecessary roughness when you're having conflict, and just lots of fun things. So I think it would be good to listen to that message because it's going to cover a lot of stuff that will be really helpful to all of us. Um, but today I want to bring a different kind of message, maybe a part two, maybe not, um, to that. But the title of my message today is Playing Dirty. All right? Playing Dirty. Okay, I don't know about you guys, but I hate when people play dirty in a game. Like, I hate it. I hated when they did it to me, and I hate it even more watching it happen to my children when they're on the field. Okay, I hate playing dirty. Okay, so, you know, so I've been known for a time or two to maybe approach a child or two after the game. Let them know how I didn't appreciate they're playing dirty or they're cheap shots. And I've talked to a coach or two in my time to also let them know how I didn't appreciate how their team was playing dirty and such. So yeah, I, I, mama don't play that. I, I don't play that way. And we shouldn't be teaching our children how to play that way. And if you're not going to parent your children, I will. So whatever. So I cannot stand when people play dirty. But then I started thinking about it. Our enemy has been playing dirty from the beginning of time. And he's been playing dirty, using the same cheap shots over and over again, using the same plans, same schemes to get into our relationships, to get in our, in our hearts and our minds and bring destruction. So today, I want to really kind of call the devil out. I want to highlight his plans and his schemes because I really am sick of him gaining yardage in people's hearts and minds and ruin their relationship. So I'm gonna blow the whistle on his plans today and highlight those things so we can be made aware of them. And so we're gonna tackle the topic of ungodly beliefs today and how they impact our relationships. And I just wanna point out, have you noticed that I am attempting to use football terminology? How many of you picked up on that? Did you, yeah. Blow the whistle, gaining yardage in our minds. Gonna tackle the topic. I'm trying to relate. I'm trying to relate. <clears throat> so anyways, okay. Let's go back to the beginning, back to Genesis, where we first read about our enemy and how he uses these same dirty tricks that he's still using today. Did God really say? Did God really say? So Genesis, Genesis 1. We see how God created the heavens and the earth, everything above it, on it, around it, in it, including Adam and Eve, okay? Genesis 2 is a little more description about the garden and creation and the things that are happening. And we also get the um, description of how God created Adam from the dust of the ground and how he created Eve out of his rib and brought Eve to Adam. And so the end of chapter 2 is God presenting Eve to Adam. So Genesis 2, 23 through 25 says, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. And all the men said, amen. amen. Okay, so end of chapter two, Eve being presented to Adam, and then boom, straight into chapter three, verses one through three. Goes, so here's Eve, ah, and then Satan. Okay, so Satan, the devil, our enemy, entered the serpent in the garden, and chapters three, one through three says this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, hasn't God deed and said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
Then the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And so then the serpent immediately responds, twisting the truth, making Adam and Eve question what God really said, making them question that, is, is God maybe holding out on us? And he convinces them to believe the lie, oh, you will not surely die. And then he goes on in Genesis 3, 5 through 6. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. So I want to point out a couple things from this scripture is how quickly Satan came in to bring a lie to the truth, replace the the, the truth with a lie. How quickly he came in trying to deceive and bring disorder to what God had just established in his word. He came in quickly. He didn't waste any time to come in and, and try to wreak havoc between Adam and Eve. And so Satan came in quite quick. And when I say quickly, and why I believe he came in quickly, he didn't waste any time trying to bring destruction into this relationship, is because not only, you know, chronologically when, you know, it ends chapter two of Eve to Adam, next verse, literally the serpent in the garden, okay? So there's that. There's no pause. There's no other communication about what happened there. But then two, Eve didn't seem surprised that the serpent was talking to her. So that tells me that Eve actually had no time to establish herself in the garden to know that animals don't talk. Because when you're born, you're just born into it. You don't, you don't know what's normal, what's, what, what, what is normal, what's the regular thing. So she may have just thought, oh, animals must talk here. So, so Satan comes in so quickly and tries to distort the truth to get them to believe a lie, which we know had the most severe consequences, bringing sin, death, and destruction into the world. So here's the thing. Satan and God are looking for the same thing, your agreement. But one brings death and one brings life. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed or my people perish for a lack of knowledge. So that is why it is so important that we know what the word of God says, that we know what the truth says so we'll be able to recognize when someone is trying to feed us a lie to come into agreement with. Because the enemy knows if he can get us to attach our agreement, our amen, our belief to a lie, he can determine the course of our futures. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he, so is the man. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So simply stated, what we believe matters. Because what we believe will dictate our behaviors, and then our behaviors will determine our futures. So what are ungodly beliefs anyways? So ungodly beliefs disagree with, the, with God's word, nature, and his character. So godly beliefs agree with the word of God, his very nature, and his character. So these ungodly beliefs, these lies, they affect our perception, our attitudes, our expectations, our decisions, and our actions. So that is why the Bible tells us to renew our mind in Romans 12, 2. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because as believers, we are still susceptible to believing a lie instead of the truth. So we have to continually renew our mind with the word of God so we are not deceived by the enemy. So how are ungodly beliefs formed or created in our lives? The first thing how ungodly beliefs can be formed are out of hurtful experiences. And whether those hurtful experiences are whether they could be intentional or unintentional. And then repeated wounding over time in that same area only reinforces the ungodly belief system. So we hear things like, you can never trust a man. Or you can never trust a woman. Men will always reject you and abandon you. Women will always reject you. All women are so controlling. Nobody will ever love me. And the list goes on. So I'm going to give you a, an example of an un, like, ungodly belief system that I had in my life that was ruining my relationships. So because we said, you know, those things come in through painful experiences. So when I was um, in eighth grade, my, my father walked out on our family. And so the person that was supposed to love me the most now just left me. And so in those crucial years around eighth grade going into high school, I'm now feeling abandoned and rejected and unlovable. And so, and, and everyone desires to be known and to be loved. And so I became the classic textbook case of that girl that's looking for love in all the wrong places. But because you don't date your potential, you date your self-esteem, I was dating individuals that were extremely unhealthy. They used drugs, they were physically, emotionally abusive. And so each and every one of these individuals that I dated, because they were so broken themselves, um, was unfaithful to me. They would cheat on me multiple times, and then I never broke up with them. They actually then left me. And so because of these painful experiences, I created an ungodly belief system that you can never trust a man, and men will always leave you. So I went into my college years believing these, this ungodly belief. And here's the thing about ungodly beliefs and why they can be so tricky is because my ungodly belief was actually true based on my experience. But it was very much untrue based on the word of God. And so, so what I believed that you can never trust a man and men will always hurt you began to dictate my behavior and then my behavior determined my future. So going into college with this belief system, I began to be consumed with fear. I was very suspicious and I always was trying to catch the person I was dating in a lie or catch them cheating on me because it's, gonna, it's just a matter of time before they cheat on me, before they are unfaithful to me. It's just because they're going to hurt me and they're going to leave at some point. And so I would, you know, be controlling and I'd try to find out what they were doing and who they were always with and looking on their phones and everything else. So here's the thing. My belief system became a self-fulfilling prophecy because then with me trying to be controlling and always trying to catch them and, and accusing them, they were like, ah, and then eventually they would leave me. Wow. So my ungodly belief system created a self-fulfilling prophecy that I actually got what I believed. And then it's so like the enemy, you're, he's continually trying to reinforce these ungodly beliefs because he wants to be, it be ingrained in you so he could put a ceiling over your life and your relationships. And I remember I, I recognized that I had an issue. I recognized that I was controlling. I recognized I was insecure that, and I couldn't trust and that I was fearful. So my senior year, I decided I'm going to join a, a women's Bible study and, and I'm going to learn how to get over my trust issues. And I was even reading a book called Trusting God, Even When Life Hurts. 
and I'm going through this study and I'm trying to work on my heart and myself and I felt my, my heart start to soften. And then I remember attending a wedding of some of my friends who are seniors in college as well and we sat in this beautiful chapel and I was just listening to everything this pastor was sharing around the beautiful union of marriage and I'm looking at my friends looking beautiful, just you know, coming together as husband and wife and and I remember my heart starting to be inclined toward this pastor. I was like, oh, he seems so nice. And I, I said to myself, if I ever get married, I'm going to ask him to do my wedding. And then it wasn't more than a week later that I, it had been uncovered that he had been having an affair with his secretary for five years. And I said to myself, see, see, you can never trust a man, ever, ever. And so the enemy was just reinforcing that belief system. And I'm going to tell you, it ruined every single relationship I was in until I met Pastor John, who had the courage and the confidence to stay with me and, and, and see that I was, I was a product of my painful past. And that's not who I was created to be. And he encouraged me to get healing. And he stuck with me through the accusations and the lies and trying to catch him in things that he never even had a hand in. And I was healed. I was completely set free. So can you see how painful experiences can create ungodly belief systems in our heart that are not, yes, maybe based on your experience, but not true when looking at the Word of God? Ungodly belief systems can also be formed or created by messages that we receive during our growing up years. And these messages that we receive, they can either be heard or they can be observed by watching the family dynamic. And these things can be Things such as women are inferior, or that's, a, that's the wife's job. She should do that because she's a woman. That's a man's job. Men never listen. They'll never be enough. Women are stupid and can't handle money. And the list goes on. So very few people would actually say those things like out loud, but we believe those things. And then we operate under those ungodly belief systems. And can you only imagine how those beliefs then manifest in your relationships? It can produce nothing good because the foundation is a lie. Yeah. And so, so we have to be very careful to know the truth so we don't come and come under the power of these susceptible lies that the enemy is continually trying to feed us as we grow up. Other messages we receive that, that conform ungodly beliefs, here's a common one. You'll never be able to understand a woman. Okay? Well, the Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 7, that husbands should live with their wives with understanding. So God would never ask you to do something that's impossible. And, and I, here's, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, guys. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But it's possible. Because God asks us, asks that of you. But can you see how this could become a self-fulfilling prophecy? If you believe you'll never understand a woman, it will then dictate your behavior and you'll never even try to understand her because she's in the too hard box. And so, and then that will create the self-fulfilling prophecy. You never actually will understand a woman because you never tried because you believed you could never accomplish it. So you stay in that cycle while your wife stays in the cycle of continually feeling disconnected to you because she doesn't feel known or loved or understood. So we've got to break these ungodly beliefs. 
Another one, ungodly belief. All men want is sex. That's all they want is sex. I know some of you men may disagree, but this is an ungodly belief system. <laughs> yes, you may want it more than we do in general, but that's not all you want, is it? Can I get an amen from the men? Thank you. Help me with this, boys. Help me. Help me. Don't leave me hanging. Don't reinforce this ungodly belief system in women. So, ladies, if you believe or have been told that all men want is sex, you may feel more used than loved when you're having intimate sex with your husband. So something that's supposed to bring you together and, and, and develop this closeness and connection now builds a wedge in between you and your husband because you feel be, you're being used because that's all they want from you. So you feel used and unloved. We've got to break these ungodly belief systems. What about this one? That sex is bad. Some of you may have never heard that, but if you grew up in a conservative Christian home, you may have heard that sex is bad and you have that belief system. And this is common, again, in a believer's, believer's home where the parents didn't necessarily have the courage to have the right conversation with their kids about God's perfect design for sex within marriage. And so in a poor attempt to keep their teenager from having premarital sex, they just say, sex is bad, don't do it. And so then we have all these young couples that are getting married and they struggle in their sexuality for the first couple years and they struggle with feeling guilty every time they have sex and they don't understand why they have these feelings of shame and guilt and condemnation when it's supposed to be this beautiful act. It's because you believe that sex is bad on the inside of you. We've got to break that ungodly belief system so you can enjoy sex in the context of marriage, how God created it to be good. So sex is good. Yet outside the context of marriage, it's not good. So another, I want to just go a one level, level deeper with this one because I'm actually finding this a lot. And I actually had to seek the Holy Spirit and to find out what is the root of this because I was having this conversation more than I would like. And so what I'm finding is that many women actually struggle with a desire to have sex with their husbands. And many times I'm hearing that they're actually struggling with feelings of resentment while they're being intimate with their husbands. And what I have kind of found is there t there's two things in common here and women that, that feel this way. One, sadly, they could have been violated sexually as a young girl and they haven't fully healed from that. And so it's kind of wreaking havoc in their marriage intimate relationship. Or two, they began engaging in sex as a young teen and so why, why does that create that feeling? Well, here, this is what I have found. So women, when they're young, they don't necessarily want to have sex, yet they believe that that's what men want. So they give the men what they want in hopes of being loved in return. But deep down, they really didn't want to give it. They just wanted to be loved. And so sex for women and with this is they view it as something that is being taken from them and not willingly given in the context of a loving marriage. So in your internal belief system, when your husband's initiating sex, you view it as he's taking it from you. You don't want to willingly give it. And so that is why we have to actually go like, what is in our hearts? What do I actually believe? Why do I feel? I shouldn't feel resentful to God. This is a gift that God has designed to bring us together. So we've got to ask ourselves what belief system we are operating in that is not healthy in our relationships. 
So another personal example I'll share about an ungodly belief system that I was recently set free from. And I just want to remind you, like, this is like a judgment-free zone, right? Yay. I'm a nice person. Ah. Okay. So I was recently set free from the ungodly belief system that all men are lazy. Okay. Let me explain. So John brought this up a little over a year ago. He's like, babe, you always like have so much fun and we're laughing in the car and you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And then all of a sudden we like walk through the threshold of our doorway and you kind of turn into a different person. He's like, you're kind of grumpy and you kind of can be mean to me once we get in the house. So there's like something about our house. We like pray through our house, like anoint you with oil. Like, I don't know what it is, but you're not the same person. Like when you come home and I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I'm a little mean. Uh, I don't want to be mean. And so... So the next day, I brought this to the Lord in prayer. And so I'm circling my kitchen table, and I'm just praying. I'm like, Holy Spirit, like, I don't want to be mean. Like, what, what is my problem? I am grumpy at home. And, and so I started to pray, and I saw a vision of myself as a young girl in my family home. And in this vision, what I saw was my mom, like, taking care of us five kids, like cooking, cleaning, packing lunches, doing our laundry, all just stressed, really stressed. And then I saw my dad sitting on the couch. And so my family dynamic at home was my dad. There was five of us kids. So my dad worked extremely hard. He would work 12, 14, sometimes 16 hour days. I wouldn't even see him. He'd be working so hard. And my mom worked inside the home. So as a child, it's like when I, in this vision, I saw my mom, the stress my mom was under. And all I saw my dad was sitting on the couch. And I saw myself as a young girl saying, men are so lazy. Because at that time, I wasn't thinking, oh, but my dad's been working all day. Surely he needs to sit down. You don't think all of these things. But the enemy loves to come in and just speak these little lies to you, right? And so I realized that since I had actually gotten married to John, there was always a little bit of an internal frustration when we were in our home. Um, So here's the truth. John's a very helpful husband. He never once has let me do the dinner and dishes on my own. He, I've never once had to do the bedtime routine on my own. He is extremely hands-on and helpful. So that's actually the truth. But I couldn't see the truth because I was blinded by my ungodly belief system. So no matter how much John did for me, no matter how much he helped me, the moment he sat on the couch, I would look at him and I would internalize and say, men are so lazy. I couldn't believe the truth about him because I was blinded by my belief that men were lazy. He couldn't do enough for me. So I was always grumpy. I was always bitter. I was always frustrated. And so once I realized that I had this ungodly belief system, I, all I did, I just, I repented. I was like, I repent for believing the lie. I renounce the ungodly belief system. And then I began to rehearse the truth that I am so blessed to have John as my husband, that he is my helpmate, that he is so helpful around the house. God, thank you. And I began to rehearse the truth until the ungodly belief system left my life. And then three weeks went by, and, and John goes, so babe, like, you've been like extra nice to me. <laughs> like the last three weeks, like what's going on? What's going on? And I was like, oh, well, I was praying, and I realized that I believed that you were lazy. And that's why I was always mad at you. It's why I explained the whole thing. I didn't tell him I had like realized what my issue was. So I had to confess that I used to believe he was lazy and he was not though. Like, but can you see how these ungodly belief systems can impact our relationships? 
These ungodly belief systems never bring joy and they never bring life because they are not founded on the truth. It's a lie. It will always bring death. It will always bring darkness and destruction. So I want us to let God give us a revelation of what the truth is so we can break these cycles of bearing bad fruit in our relationships. I want to talk about this one, and it may from the get-go may, may not sound very like uh, relationshipy focused, but I think it's really important for relationships because how many of us know that finances and provision can be a stressful topic in marriages, right? So this one, the belief system, again, you don't really say it out loud, but you believe that there'll never be enough. So if you believe... And this, this may have been caused because you grew up in a home with severe lack or poverty, or maybe you witnessed a lot of stress, uh, stressful things being spoken about around money, like a fear that they, there wasn't going to be enough or enough food on the table. And so you hear these things, so you create these ungodly beliefs that there'll never be enough. And this, this, this belief system can, can kind of like manifest in stinginess or greed. It's almost impossible for you to be generous because you hold on to your money so tightly because you're worried there's never going to be enough. This one can actually manifest in even overeating because if you grew up in a home with severe lack, when there was food on the table, you better eat as much as you can now because you don't know if there's going to be enough tomorrow. And so people actually, if they, if they have a lack mentality, they can actually overeat. This thing manifests in so many different ways. And so what we need to do is renew our mind and then we need to act on the truth. We need to know what the Bible says. And the Bible says that he shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that if you sow, if you are generous, that you will reap a harvest. The Bible says with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. And the Bible says that he is a good daddy God and he wants to give good gifts to his kids and that he wants all of his children to prosper and be in health. So we have to renew our minds and get the truth into our hearts and into our belief systems. And then we have to activate generosity. It's not enough to just be like, oh, I canceled that. I don't have a power mentality. There's going to be enough, blah, blah, blah. But if you, never, if you never step into generosity and step into giving and become a tither and bring all, like you, you're, you're never going to break the back of this thing. And why I want to bring it up, because here's the thing. Most of you, husband and or wife, will want a home for your family one day. You don't want to live in a shack, right? You want to be able to drive a car that's reliable. And you may even want to take your family on a vacation. But if you have a lack mentality, you will probably never step out in faith and buy a home. You may not take that, your, your family to Cabo. You may not bless your wife with a new car that's reliable. She doesn't have to break down the side of the road if you don't get rid of this lack mentality. We've got to break down these ungodly belief systems and renew our mind with the truth. We all have ungodly belief systems. We just have to recognize which ones we have. Like we all have them. We all have them. Now I want to take a moment to talk to our single people. So, okay, so I don't want to like over-spiritualize this, okay? And I don't want to create a, th a theology that doesn't exist. And I don't want to go as far as to say that this, that you are operating under an ungodly belief system. However, I am becoming increasingly concerned with these lists. Like the, the, the list of what your future spouse is supposed to be like. Those lists. 
And I'm sure, I'm sure because you're all nice people that on your list, somewhere you have that you want that person to be godly, you want to be trustworthy, you want to be kind, you want to make you laugh. Like you, I guarantee you those qualities are on your list. But what I'm noticing is that you don't even give someone a chance to show you that they're godly and kind and trustworthy and can make you laugh because they didn't have brown hair, brown eyes, and weren't this tall and this size requirement. So, I, and I, here's the thing, I am not saying that you shouldn't be attracted to the person you're gonna marry. You need to be attracted and you will be. So, so attraction is important, absolutely, but, I wanna say that you actually might not be attracted to this person at first glance. It may not be love at first sight. And sometimes some LASIK surgery, a haircut, and a trip to Nordstrom's is a game changer. I mean, most of us have probably been to some form of a reunion from high school. And isn't it true that like the nerdy ones end up being the most handsome and successful? You're like, wow, you turned out really good looking. And then the jocks who you thought you wanted to marry are like all overweight and drink beer and just watch sports. They keep talking about the touchdown they scored in high school and you're like, ew. So you may not be in love at first sight. And I'm gonna be honest, it does grieve me a little when I hear, I hear this repeatedly, when you make a suggestion about asking him or her out and they, oh, they're not my type. And I, and I don't love that statement at all because it's completely based purely on outside appearance. So could our preferences be preventing us from receiving God's promise in our life? And then, and then the last I checked, um, you don't look like Brad Pitt, and so I don't know why you think you're gonna get an Angelina. Oh. I'm so sorry, but it needed to be said, you guys. I am not trying to be mean. Like, again, I'm so nice, I'm nice. I'm trying to help you because I love you. I love you. I love love. Oh my gosh, I love love. I love the idea of love. I love watching people fall in love. I love weddings. I love love it all. But I want you to experience love and your preferences might be keeping you from it. And so... Another thing that grieves me is when I hear, will you not yell at me? Don't yell at me. Don't yell at me for saying these things. I'm helping you. Another thing that grieves me is when I hear things like, oh, you're the third person that's told me to ask that person out, but I'm not interested. What? What? So I'm the third person that made the same suggestion could it be that I and the other two individuals are not blinded by your lists? 
We're not blinded by the list. You are. Could it be there's something to that suggestion, but you can't see it because you've come into agreement with this belief system that my spouse has to be this or that or look like this or that. So I just want to encourage us to be willing to surrender this list, even if it's just for a season. Let's just try it out. Let's try to be open-minded and not be a prisoner to this list that we've written out, locking the doors of our hearts, the potential one that God has for us. And I guarantee you, again, it may not be love at first sight, but if you take the time to truly see this person, you may find yourself in the midst of the most beautiful love story. And, and... I was, I was chatting just, I think it was about a week ago with a beautiful young woman in our church and we were just catching up on life and having coffee and she'd be like, you'd be so proud of me, Pastor Becky. Because she had a list. I mean, her list was long and detailed and she had turned down many suitors because they didn't meet the criteria on this list. She began to tell me how she met someone that was really pursuing her, but she was not interested because he did not match this list. And she said she felt this conviction that she needed to give him five dates. I'm going to give it five dates. Because he's kept pursuing her. He's like, I'm going to give it five dates. See if I'm interested. And she's like, guess what? He's not even tall. He's actually short. And then she says, and we're getting married. First sight, first glance, wasn't interested. Gave him a shot. And now they're in love. And, and here's the thing. You're not going to not be attracted to this person. God's not mean. You're gonna really, you're like, they're gonna, you're gonna like fall in love with them and you're gonna think they're the cutest thing that ever walked the face of the earth. Let's give them a chance. Oh my gosh, I feel so much better now. You guys, if you had any idea how long I have wanted to say these things, and I finally had the opportunity. I feel so much better. Yes, let's just thank Jesus. Yes. Yep. I needed to take that dating detour. Okay, so, but again, so I understand this is not a common relationship message, but I wanted to bring a message on the health of our hearts because remember what Proverbs says in uh, 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So in our relationships, there's supposed to be this healthy flow of love from one to another. But these ungodly belief systems that we carry in our heart interrupt that flow. They hinder that flow of love that we're supposed to be experiencing. And I guarantee you, we are more like Adam and Eve than we realize. They had no idea what just coming into agreement with a little lie was gonna do. It had such devastating consequences. And we think these little belief systems aren't that big a deal, but oh, I hope that I shine the light on it enough today where you realize, man, this could be totally building a wall around my life, a ceiling around my relationships, the amount of love I can experience with intimacy with my spouse. These things are not to be taken lightly. So how do we break free from these ungodly beliefs? Just share five quick things that will help you. We first have to recognize that we have an ungodly belief 
through the work of the Holy Spirit. That may have happened here today. The Holy Spirit highlighted something to you. Or maybe it's gonna happen tomorrow when you sit down and say, Holy Spirit, show me if there's any grievous way in me, if there's any wicked way in me. Show me, is there an area of my life where I am not in agreement with the Word of God? Show me, Holy Spirit. The second thing, we must renounce the ungodly belief and break all ties to demons from that ungodly belief. Because a lot of times, like I said, like with my trust issue with men, I opened that doorway to agree with the lie, give that lie power. And when I gave the lie power and it wasn't based on the truth, the enemy can come in and start to oppress that area of my life. He wants this cycle on repeat. He wants this to destroy your life and your relationships. So we need to renounce the ungodly belief and break all ties from demons that may be influencing that belief. The third thing, we must forgive those who caused us to form the belief in the first place. And we may not realize that's an important one, but it really is. Release forgiveness to those who made you believe the things you believe. And then you need to forgive yourself for believing the lie and ask God to forgive you. And then finally, ask the Heavenly Father to speak the truth to you. And we need to go to the Bible and find out what God actually says about that area of our life. And then we need to write out the godly belief. And then we rehearse the godly belief until that becomes our way of operating and our way of thinking and our way of believing. We need to renew our minds with the godly belief and replace the lie, amen? John 8, 32 says, you shall know the truth and the truth is gonna set you free. I want you to be free to love. I, I want you to be free to be intimate. I want you to be free to receive. I want you to have the most epic love stories of all time. I want you to experience love the way God intended love to be experienced. I want you to have the marriages that you only dreamed of. And I truly believe that the best is yet to come for our relationships. If we can begin to apply this simple but oh so powerful principle in our hearts and our minds, amen, amen. I wanna just take, just for the next moment, the band just gonna play. And I just want you to take a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit, because I, and I want you to, I'm gonna have a, say a prayer and you're gonna just repeat after me this simple prayer to break any ungodly beliefs. But even just in this moment, in this atmosphere of faith, in this atmosphere of truth, just close your eyes, take a moment, say, Holy Spirit, what ungodly belief do I have? Just take a moment, just take a moment. Be with the Lord. Amen. And I'd love for you to repeat after me. I repent for believing a lie. I forgive anyone who taught me that belief. And I choose to forgive myself. 
and I receive your gift of forgiveness. And by your grace, I choose to believe the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. life that need to be renewed with the truth. And I want to do one more thing before we end the service. I want to give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus. Maybe you're here for the first time or someone brought you along or maybe maybe you used to go to church but you kind of just found yourself coming into the house of God today at random. I want to give you an opportunity to get your life right with God. So if everyone would just uh, close their eyes and bow their heads really quickly. If you are in here today and you just know, like you know, you know that you need to get your life right with God or you need to recommit your life to Him. If you know that's you, while no one else is looking around, will you just lift your hand up nice and high so I can see it, so I can include you in my prayer? Yes, I see you. With the purse on your lap, I see you. And up the back, yes, ma'am, I see you. And over to the side, yes, sir, I see you. And that dress shirt and here in the black off to the side in the green shirt ma'am yes I see you and in the pink shirt close to the rail and with the black t-shirt and the jacket I see you right there I see you young man I see you and right above you in the denim and up the back I see your hands anyone else so many people so many people today thank you Lord yes I see you off to the side on the drum cage over here who else am I waiting on? Who else am I waiting on? Amen, amen. Let's just give those people a huge clap for that decision. And I'd love everyone if they would just stand to their feet. And there were so many of you that lifted your hands. And here's the thing. We're going to pray a prayer. And you're going to repeat after me. And, and Jesus, your heavenly Father, is going to come into your life. And he's going to make all things new, just like we sang today. But after this service, if you lifted your hand, or maybe you, I didn't give you enough time, I stopped too early, but you know you needed to lift your hand. The ball is in your court. We wanna empower you. We would love to pray with you if you need prayer. We definitely wanna give you a Bible. We wanna give you a book called Following Jesus just to help you on your journey. So don't rush off. Come see one of my friends in the response lounge. Some of the greatest leaders and pastors in our church are in that room over there. And they're gonna just answer any questions that you have and give you that gift. But please don't rush off. That decision is too important just to let it be a hand lifted and then go back to life as normal. Let God transform you, amen? So let's all pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross in my place to forgive me. I receive your forgiveness and I declare that I am saved, that I'm a child of God, that you are my Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.